Insurance Unplugged is sponsored by Expert.ai. Expert.ai offers AI-enabled solutions that save time, cut costs, and improve outcomes for insurance companies by extracting critical information from documents for faster, better, and more consistent decisions. Expert.ai's enterprise AI platform for insurance powers solutions from underwriting to claims with unmatched accuracy, flexibility, and scale. Welcome, Steve. So excited to have you with us today. I just get, I mean, honestly, not only are you a friend, but you're just somebody that I use as a beacon of where the industry is going and cutting down the bull and the hyperbole and actually getting real. So thank you so much for joining us. Before we delve into the main topics, we'd love to hear more. Please tell the audience more about your background, about your journey in tech and insurance sectors, and how did you find your way to your current role as partner at Oliver Wyman? And yeah, just some key milestones in your career. Well, I've been doing technology work since the 1970s. My dad bought my brother and I and our family uh, the first Apple computer that came out and we learned to code. And um, I've been doing large-scale transformation for about 30 years. And a lot of what that has entailed is installing really large package software and telling clients that they should like it. And what I've noticed in my career is that the cost of the technology has gone up and up and up, and the utility is about the same or less. And even with the move to the cloud, a lot of the cloud-based SaaS solutions aren't even as good as the legacy solutions that they're replacing. And the milestone that brought me to where I am now is I was working with you. You were my client. I was working at a big four. And we were talking to you about uh, some package solutions that didn't work all that well. We won't name and, names. <laughs> and it, it, it might have been you that broke me. I'm not entirely sure. But I woke up. <laughs> and I turned to a good colleague of mine that I said, I'm still working with at Oliver Wyman. And I said, there has to be a better way. I'm tired of lying to clients and telling them they should adapt their business process around the stuff that doesn't work all that well, and that's how you do transformation. I wonder if we could do it right. And we started to do it right. We were doing accounting change for this company, and we were building tooling that worked really well to displace traditional platforms or enable platforms that weren't working particularly well. And uh, they, they permitted me to do that. At the big four, because it's it's the the big four uh, has an audit arm, and they're very conservative, legitimately so about um, uh, independence and so forth. And it bothered them that we were doing some cutting edge digital stuff because it could have infringed upon uh, the business model. And a colleague of mine had moved from this big four to Oliver Weinman, and he called me and he said, "Hey." would you be interested in doing this in an unfettered way, reimagining uh, our clients' views of data and technology? And he convinced me, and I said, yes. And it's been one of the best decisions I've ever made. Well, I love that. I, I do love the fact that I may have been <laughs> the one for you. No, I'm joking. We, we, we don't have enough time in this podcast to talk about what was Lisa like as a, as a technology client. We can, we can do a different series on that one. But 
what I really love about this though is you and I share this unequivocal, relentless pursuit of piercing through the fog. Like like hype, hyperbole, shiny objects have never resonated with us, but the thing I love about you is that you see the future in an unencumbered way and you don't make it this big 10 years, $200 million, good luck, right? You, you have this ability to just make it real and make it really tangible. Like you would be the person I would want to build my house. Like I want all these things and you'd be like, okay, Lisa, but what you really need is this, this, and this, but you wouldn't tell me I still needed to stay on cobalt as an example, right? Like you would give me that house of the future. So let's, let's move into like applying that to like, (laughs) Another shiny object, here we come, you know, AI. But now that we know a little bit about your philosophy and your kind of beating drum, let's tackle breaking down the hype of AI applied to insurance and all the insure techs coming out there. I actually heard yesterday, one of my friends called me late last night and said, hey, Lisa, you know, we're pitching this to, you know, one of these big Silicon Valley funds. We need to add AI in here like tonight because they've said that the way it's going to get funded is we can't get it funded without AI in there. So like, you know, the hype is real, right? Meaning like it's got to be in there. Like these are real stories, real experiences. What's real for you, Steve, in the industry? And what do you think are true emerging areas? So what's real is the tooling that solves business problems today. So quite honestly, the ability of modern tooling to consume extremely large data sets and generate predictive analytics to solve business problems in novel ways is groundbreaking. And these are types of techniques and uh, tooling and data that we apply on a daily basis with our clients to solve real problems and to make real money. What is not real is, hey, generative AI can write your PowerPoint or a poem, or it can sing for you. I don't know if about you, but if I were a CEO of a small company or a large company, I don't know that poem writing or PowerPoint would be on my top priority. And so the thing that- Unless, you're, wor- unless you might be in one of those air quotes. Sure. I don't know if you've seen that YouTube video that just went viral this week. We won't name any names, but- I, I agreed with you. The- um, However, uh, I think it's a distraction. I, I think the what's really cool about generative AI is the accessibility to sort of really powerful tooling that it's generated in the marketplace. The really concerning thing is the hype, the idea that these edge cases are worth investing billions of dollars in. They're not. It, it, companies have real problems that they're dealing with today. Like I just got off the phone with a client that's dealing with legacy COBOL. And that sounds really boring, but it's costing this company a lot of money to deal with legacy COBOL. And the exam question was, how quick can I get off these platforms? And this particular CEO had gone to a bunch of companies, tech companies, the big four, and he kind of freaked out because the answer was like, well, there'll be a three to four year journey. I, he showed me a PowerPoint and a roadmap and I thought, no, this is, this is not good. Yeah. And 
we said something which surprised them because the CTO was on the phone and I said, can we take a look at your code? And we started to look at it and we figured out a way to tackle this problem. And I said to him, I said, I'm going to bet you something. And he, he said, what? And I said, I think we can finish by summer. That's powerful yeah. because this particular client was on the hook for a lot of pain and cost and business disruption for something that isn't necessarily sexy or interesting, but is super important to the business model. And those are the cases for modern tooling, including AI as a class of tooling. Yeah. Those applications to me are super interesting. So you know what's fascinating to me? And this is like no joke. You are the second person that we've interviewed on the podcast series for AI in the city that's used a COBOL example. And coincidentally, I laugh. Like when, as soon as you said, I was like, I'm one of, my, one of my claims to fame was that I actually was the only person that could retire a COBOL system. Everybody else tried and failed. I mean, I was maybe kamikaze mission to do it, but I did it. I did it. I, I took the big button and I was like, eek. Now, I did it five years ago, Steve, so well, well before the tools and the capabilities we have today. But the interesting thing that I think you're articulating here is that we have to leverage the tooling and the computing in not wash, rinse, and repeat technology sales frameworks. And so what all those other people were trying to do maybe was, we're going to sell you an upgrade. We're going to sell you the new car model. We're going to sell you this, and we're going to sell you that. As opposed to saying, and this is where you and I used to talk back at that client where we worked together. It's like, why do we have to do this at all? I mean, we were talking about doing debits and credits outside of ERP. Like, why do we have to do that in the ERP framework, which is you know, a little cutting edge for a CFO and a public accounting well, firm consultant to be talking about. But how do you think about that? Like, see, what really bothers me, and I think it bothers you too, is when people think the shiny new tool is these very, like, edge things but you know one of the podcasters we talked to was like you can use ai to get to that code base exponentially faster than maybe like you could have with you know like when we used to do regression analysis on all the code what do you think about the practical applications and again this might be a, a strange answer i've spent decades doing these transformation projects and i put that in air quotes where you install a new piece of technology on top of old technology. And if you're sitting in a technology shop, it's like pancakes. You have technology from the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and they're all still there. And the issue of cost and complexity in these ecosystems for these non-insured techs, like these legacy companies that have been around for a long time is, how do I deal with the pancakes? Because I've, I've got this, this unbelievable complexity and I've got to tell you, I now am amongst friends at Oliver Weinman. We know how to deal with the pancakes and yeah. and eliminate them. This idea that you can eliminate technology using modern tooling, I think, is revolutionary. And using AI as an analytical tool to help reduce technology is super interesting to me. So it's not, hey, we're going to layer a new AI widget on top of all your old widget. We're going to leverage modern tooling and analytic techniques to eliminate the pain that your company may have been experiencing for decades. I think that's powerful. That is hugely powerful. And not only is it powerful, it's cost 
efficacy, right? Um, I think that all too often the playbooks that CIOs and CFOs go to, which is the traditional like app consolidation, and all that does is drive you to towards a more monolithic tech stack, right? Like the incentive of traditional cost playbooks, cost avoidance, you know, cost out playbooks, which, you know, we all have to achieve is this monolithic empire building tech debt, et cetera. But what we're not thinking about, and you know, I'm super sensitive to this and I, I bet you're seeing it a lot as well in your work now at Oliver Lyman is I was talking, I keep talking to a lot of startups that are basically coding and building tech that pieces and parts already exist. And I'm like, why are you doing that? That doesn't make sense to me. Like, I'll give you a good example. It's a newly emerging tech. And, you know, it's, it's whatever. It's front end tech. Mm-hmm. And, but they've got to figure out how to bill and collect and, you know, do subscription management. And they were like, well, let's get some engineers and start figuring out how to build that. And I'm like, yeah, but there's subledger accounting frameworks that have, you know, you and I worked on one that's based in the UK. There's these things now that exist in the cloud that, you don't have to have these monolithic ERPs and you sure as heck don't need these engineers to whip it up in your startup, you know, engine. So how do you see, do you see AI also being used as a tool to help people kind of not only use the analytics to take out the pain, but also maybe look deeper than the traditional playbooks of how you're, how you look at your tech solutions. And I'll say solutions because it's not just the tech itself, right? It's like the solutions that you're. Potentially I'll give you hypothetical. If, if we're thinking about AI as a tool set that can consume very large data sets and um, perceive patterns, um, end user computing, algorithms, all these things that these monolithic stacks of pancakes have, they're essentially enshrined in large data sets. So AI, along with other techniques, can be used to sort of not only do the analysis, but sort of identify the fact patterns of what's easiest to attack first, second, and third. But I want to come back to what you were talking about um, when we were talking about platform consolidation. It's Mm -hmm. strange to me that most of the time someone says platform consolidation, they buy another platform to consolidate on. I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) And... Like, you shouldn't yeah. be driving. Let's go by. And so, what we're trying to put. <laughs> oh my God. Exactly. Virtual high five on that one. That's and so, what, the, what we're <laughs> now talking to clients about is do you really need another platform? And it, is it possible yeah. that maybe you either keep the platform you have if you just really want a platform? That's fine. But instead of buying new stuff every time you have a business problem, why don't you leverage the tooling that already exists to your point that maybe 50 or 75% pre-built, why would you rebuild it? And I'll tell you a future that I think would be interesting is a library and maybe it's semi-public of all these algorithms and components with an orchestration layer that would allow you as a startup, as an individual, as a CIO or a CFO or a COO at a big company, that you could assemble your own solution in real time. So rather than having this need for spreadsheets, which basically is you use a spreadsheet when technology has failed you, this idea of having 
another way of thinking about technology as something that can be highly interoperable and hyper-personalized to the type of business model you have so that there's this ability that business practitioners can assemble platform-type tech to solve major problems at scale. That's not in the future. We're doing this today. Like this morning, I was working with a client to think about this. And so I, I like this idea of focusing on practical problems. What's impacting your bottom line or your ability to generate revenue? And are you leveraging the right kind of tooling to make a difference there? Not, not, are you, yeah, go ahead. Well, on that, yeah, on that, right? Like this is like the, this is kind of like the conceptual Lego store that mm-hmm. you and I have talked about in other panels and, and discussions. But, and so like, kind of like, if, if we think about that, it's that composability, decomposability, but, but it's interesting, right? You have a couple of things going on there. One is technology companies have traditionally been rewarded for mastering verticalization, right? Like you get in and you don't get out. And even startups are rewarded for going all in. Like, you know, like, like as an example, why are some of these startups building UIs and workbenches? Like you're not a claims, like you're not, like there's a 500 other things for claims and underwriting, uh, actuarial pricing, risk modeling, all these other things. Like you're one of a many, why would you go all in? Because hashtag, they're not going to use your UI. They're not going to use your portal because they, like any individual underwriter, any individual actuary, any individual claims adjuster is going to need 20 versions of that. And just like, you know, all the apps on our iPhone, a, a business person can't be going in and out of 20 different portals and UI. Yet, Steve, you know this to be true. Every single piece of tech comes with, guess what? workflow, workbench, and, you know, like, I'm belaboring that point a little bit, but I think to your point, gone are the days where we need the all-in verticalization, and we can, like, sit on top, and it's like Legos, we can design what we need now without the, kind of the three-in-one Lego kit that comes pre-assembled, which you would actually take the big monolithic tech people as, like, not even a three-in-one kit. It's like, these are the only things you get to build with, and I've pre-built it for you. So where do you think, um, you know, I think we, as an industry, we over and underreact to emerging technology. How do you see this composability and decomposability solving real problems? How do you see that connecting to AI? Do you think that will make it better, or do you think that'll make it worse? I think the hype around AI is generating confusion about how to solve these problems. And coming back to insure tech, and I am going to answer your question. Um, All these companies are developing platforms and no one needs platforms. And part of it is tied to a business model that's stupid, which is this concept of ARR or recurring revenue. In order to get a valuation, you need recurring revenue, but recurring revenue kills businesses. So this idea that you need to go out and buy software or a platform, spend a bunch of money, and then pay forever for it is crazy. What about a future where it was free? 
and you paid for real business value. So if Oliver Wyman has consulting and we can solve business problems for you with modern tech, maybe you pay for those services, but we leave the technology behind and we say, it's yours. Don't pay us every year, just have it. And I'd like to experiment with breaking that model of you need ARR because it causes companies to do stupid things and that, that are poisonous to their clients. And so we're trying yeah. to break this ARR cycle because I, I think it's something that's wrong with the industry. No, but you, you bring up such a great point. And, you know, I think that it's hard to, I'll, I'll use the Uberize, the insurance technology. Like, how do we break the cost model? You know, you and I often talk about this, right? It's the inertia of the ARR, the monolithic tech. Like, modularity in my mind has been, like, a misnomer ever since I've heard the word modularity because it's so misused. All that means is we've got modules that we're going to sell you to increase our ARR. It doesn't really create flexibility and agility or it's not creating um, um, switch tracks that allow you to toggle between technology at will, right? Like, and... Do you think Gen AI and AI, I would actually step back and maybe just say AI. Do you think that that's a distraction to this? And then I'm going to ask one additional um, question. Yes and no. Um, I think this idea that AI is going to solve everything is like trying to build a house out of nails. Um, it, I mean, that's it's an interesting concept. I'm sure it's possible, but that's like not the best way to build a house. AI is a very useful tool that can do some amazing things. But it's not all of the tools you need or the materials you need to build your house. And so the distraction is the thought that AI will do everything. The useful bit in that argument is can consuming large data sets and being able to do amazing predictive analytics. That's useful. That's incredibly useful for so many types of business problems. Also, some of the underappreciated tech that exists in the universe to do things like consuming large data sets and clean them up. Um, that is as interesting to me as generative AI. And maybe I'm a weirdo, but yes. I, I think you're bringing up a great point, which is now more than ever. And I, I was just in Nebraska and I had just done this, we were in the performing arts center. And anyway, I was thinking about Steve jobs and the intertwining of the art and the science. So humor me for a moment, but never before, in my opinion, has there been a heightened need at this level for artful design. You're weaving a tapestry of technology enablement to solve business. Like what, do what is that tapestry? What are you putting in the loom? How are you weaving it together? And I think that if we don't solve it as a, like every thread is creating this ultimate picture that I want to create. And to your point that, that you have to actually envision that before you start weaving. And I don't think there's a lot of people stepping back. Like, yes, we're stepping back on maybe governance, maybe use cases and ROI and KPIs, all the things, but like, are we stepping back and saying, what is that picture that I'm weaving? And, and are you helping your clients? A million percent. And the idea is getting a very clear picture of the tangible business problem 
and finding a way to generate the result at speed. And what's impressed me in the last 18 months is the ability for modern tooling to be able to generate results orders of magnitude faster than old techniques. We're at the point now where even this concept of doing a detailed roadmap operating model assessment sometimes it's completely unnecessary to solve certain types of business problems. Sometimes it's easier just to solve the problem as opposed to doing an assessment of the strategy. Which is why I wanted this insurance unplugged, right? Like, let's keep it real. Um, let's move. Okay, so let, let's move on just a little bit in this journey. Let's say, okay, we're solving the problem. We've designed it. You know, we're beyond, I'll call, you know, shiny balls. You know, you come from a wealth of technology within mm -hmm. governed frameworks, right? So it's not just technology at scale. And if you're going to deploy AI, you need to be thinking at scale. So how should the industry think about, because I'm really worried with everybody shoving AI in their business models and shoving it in their tech. And not only am I worried about the hype, I'm worried about the performance. I'm worried about the security. I'm worried about the stability of vendors that we're partnering with. How are you thinking about evaluating ven vendors, their stability, their credibility? Like, you know, you can't really be that new at AI. Like, you know, like some of these people have been doing this for like 10 or 20 years. Like, what do you think about the people that are, you know, whatever, woke up today and put it in their PowerPoint? Like, what, how do you do I want to make a couple of important points and I'll answer your question. AI and machine learning have been around for decades. People are just becoming aware of it now. It's not as if it, it hasn't been around for a long time. Exactly. I like quantum computing, right? I think quantum computing was... You hold me honest here, Steve. I think it was like in the 50s or the 60s where the capability was created. We just didn't have the affordability of it. So this isn't new. Like what we're talking about right now with AI and machine learning is not new. So what has changed the is the AI. accessibility, the, the ability of your average citizen to be able to generate um, compute at scale. The practitioners that have been doing this a long time think very carefully about bias, about governance, um, uh, every practitioner I know uh, that uses generative AI in their daily world knows about things like hallucinations and they think about validation. When I think about AI, the analogy I would use is um, when you're thinking about your childhood, did you ever imagine that there was a monster in your closet? And how did you determine that the monster didn't exist? In almost every case, not every case, some adult figure came into the room and peered into your closet or wherever you thought the monster would, would be and say, see, there's no monster. What concerns me about some of these tools is a lack of a parent, a lack of this idea of governance to say, um, is this real? Is this not real? Is there bias? Is there no bias? So when we think about evaluating vendors or even solutions for our clients, we think almost exclusively about governance and bias because it's incredibly important, but it's something you can't see. Like you can see a screen and yeah. you can have a, 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 a one of these solutions generate a nice poem for you, and that's that's cool. But bias is very hard to see. It's very hard to detect. It's 
it's um, done on a daily basis by us, by other practitioners. But I worry that the casual user or even the casual insure tech or fintech won't be doing adequate work around rooting out bias around governance, if that makes sense. You and I are people that come from the trenches of governance, and then we, you know, we've been innovators and break the chains. You know, we're the people who say, "Hey, you don't need software." Like, like I think we're on the edge, but we come from this rooted background. I, I have to tell you that, like, I'm uncomfortable with the lack of probably like governance and operating models. Like, even if you think of something as maybe um, intricate as prompt engineering, like, like you only get back out of it what you pumped it like right like if like so i feel like there's a maturation here that requires scale that requires an organization that understands i can move fast but i'm gonna move fast within like you know the, the famous adage when when i started doing starbase oxley was controls are like brakes on a car you can't drive you can't drive 120 miles an hour if you don't have brakes on the car, because by definition, you will slam into something. And so I think that this is probably something that, I mean, people are thinking about it like, more like, do I put my data in it? Yes or no. But I think it's like bigger than that, which is what is the sophistication? And I wonder how you're handling that in your role now, because it seems like there's an element of AI in everything. It's like flavoring. <laughs> and so how do, how do your clients and how do you help them navigate through that lens of like, is there this kind of random flavoring that's creating unintended bias that nobody knew about, right? Like how uh, are you thinking? Don't make the flavor random. As, as, I mean, honestly, as, <laughs> as you're looking at your vendor ecosystem, yeah. do it with intent. If there's someone says, hey, I have AI, you need to know what that's doing. And I work in and around actuaries all the time. It is part of the actuarial standard that in order to generate a report, in order to generate something with your credentials, you need to be aware of the underlying calculation and how you've gotten to your conclusions. That's not a bad idea for everyone to be thinking that way. No, I love that framing. Um, so let's cover some significant use cases. I mean, you, you I think you definitely covered it's got to be business relevant. And my CFO brain loves that. How do you create something? And, and by the way, please don't make it OpEx. Like, hello, CFOs are never going to give you credit for the OpEx business case. I, I literally educate people on this. 10 times a week. We don't believe you're actually going to get those people savings anyway, nor are you going to do anything about it. So we discount it at the CFO level. Um, we kind of take it as a shave. We're like, yeah, no, not going to happen. Where do you think the real value is going to come? Um, the real value. And this will be the antithesis of how we started. The ability for these tools to generate predictive models that help with top line growth. There's so much white space that's unexplored with product models that were built using a hammer and chisel 20 years ago. And if we think about insurance, the idea that you can use these large data sets to generate hyper-personalized experiences, 
both from a risk standpoint and also a revenue generation standpoint, the the tooling and the analytics is real. It exists now to not only look at your business from a loss perspective, how can I look at the past? I can now look at the future. I can consume extremely large data sets to make predictions that aren't possible with the smaller data sets that were in existence even just five years ago. I've often thought that the future of insurance and innovation insurance is consumer-driven, intuitive, hyper-personalized products that people want. And I believe that as we're seeing in the world today with like, you know, things, sustainability and all the things with like insurers having to exit market markets because of, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be exiting the markets, by the way. Um, you know, like we've got to make ends meet, but are there products that can be woven together in ways that we couldn't contrive or think of in the past? And I think identifying those patterns to your point, what could be more purposeful than using AI to create hyper-personalized products that people actually don't just need, but want, right? Like how are we as an industry going to do that? And so with your work that you're doing now on the horizon innovation and applying it to this, can you share some insights that you're working on at Oliver Wyman, like that you all are pioneering in the field of insurance? Like, you all have such an amazing wealth between self-insured, which I love, and then the insurance industry itself, because I think it helps you see both sides of the dimension. How are you and again, it comes back this? to product innovation and how are we thinking and our clients thinking about the customer, the insured. And there's so much rich information that's available and with permission meaning not a, not a secret, not, but there are lots of people that have this hunger for a better service level. Not, I, I have to go through 1,800 steps to get life insurance. What if instead you had an app on your phone that was monitoring a lot of your other apps and a lot of your devices and your sleeping patterns and whatever, and were able to suggest to you both products that generate revenue, but also products that minimize loss and products that do both things at the same time. These are the applications of sort of these hyper-personalized insurance experiences that for the individual, having an array of services that not only make your life uh, easier and minimize disruption, but make your experience with the world more seamless. And I, the the analog I can think of is years ago when browsers first came out. There were these versions of browsers that were really complicated and had these catalogs and you could select what sort of category of website you would want to go to. And the browser wars were run and the search wars were run by companies that imagined a simple and simplistic experience that streamlined your interaction with technology. As I think about the future of insurance and we talk with our clients, that's what we're talking about is how can we make these experiences more streamlined, invisible, so that you get the answer to your problem, you mitigate the loss, 
potentially without even being aware of it, where there are services that we could stitch together where you could just uh, say, hey, I, I want to have this level but not this other level of disruption, and I'm willing to pay for that. The level of analytics to be able to provide that in a hyper-personalized way are available today. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> like, you and I could have this discussion every day of the week, but to leave our guests with like one specific call to action that you say, you know, if you do nothing more than this, this is the one thing I want you to take away. As we just wind it down, what's the one thing that you want everyone to make sure if they skip to the end of this that they hear? Think about your problems. Think about the technology in a way that it can solve today's problems. And one small plug, if any of this is interesting, um, I'd love to continue the conversation with you. And not just you, Lisa, to anybody that's listening to this this podcast. Um, <laughs> the, the, the passion project that I have wow. around my current career is to help, is to be providing education, to be changing the industry in a positive way. And I think that happens one conversation and one problem solving uh, episode at a time. I love it. So definitely reach out to Steve. He is an amazing phone a friend. If you want to talk anything, I'll say that's not common. He always has a calm way to solve a problem. So thank you, Steve, for being here, for sharing your amazing insights um, and expertise and truly a riveting discussion. That's a wrap for this episode of Insurance Unplugged. We hope you, our audience, found this conversation as enlightening as we did. Stay tuned for more episodes. And until next time, this is Lisa Wardlaw signing off. This episode of Insurance Unplugged was brought to you by Expert.ai. With Expert.ai's hybrid AI approach, the symbolic AI, machine learning, and LLMs are combined to bring the level of understanding and insight offered by an experienced claims professional at scale across an organization. Join us next week as we continue our discussion on Insurance Unplugged, uncovering all the behind-the-scenes AI in the city, sponsored by Expert.ai.